Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Harper Academic calling Louise Erdrich. Louise is the author of many novels, including National Book Award winner The Roundhouse, as well as volumes of poetry, children's books, short stories, and a memoir. Her newest novel, Future Home of the Living God, which is now available in hardcover, takes readers into a dystopian society, a world where evolution is regressing and the government is seizing control of pregnant women. At the heart of the novel is Cedar, a young woman who wants to keep her unborn baby safe at all costs. We spoke to Louise about her experience writing the novel and the parallels it draws to our society today. So joining us on the phone right now, we have Louise Erdrich, author of Future Home with the Living God. And thanks for joining us today, Louise. Thank you so much. I'm I'm delighted. Fantastic. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about the origin of this book, where you got the idea? The idea for the book came to me uh, quite a long time before I actually wrote it. It was probably in early um, the, in the early 90s that I actually started thinking about it, um, but I, I read books that might have something to do with the, the idea, and I, I didn't really start it until around 2002. So then what happened um, after that? Were you having been working on it this whole time, or did you put it away and come back to it? I would work on it for a while until I hit a stopping point and then come back, and that went on for years. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't sure I would ever actually publish the book. I didn't know whether the time would be right, whether I would want to publish it. It was something I felt that I had to do right around 2002 because the world seemed to have shifted very drastically to me, and I had the sense that things were going to be more difficult in some ways for my daughters than they had been for me. Mm-hmm. I was I was very fortunate. You know, I grew up in a very safe, small town with my parents around me, and I had seven brothers and sisters. I have a great deal of freedom. And then when I went to school out on the East Coast, it was a time when women's um, reproductive rights were really starting to move in a direction that I thought would give us so much more freedom and such a sense of strength. And and in 2002, I I saw things begin to move somewhat backward. And I, I was very concerned. I was very worried. And some of that worry, I think, was alleviated by actually writing about it you know mm-hmm. when you actually write something out even though it doesn't have to do exactly with what you're worried about it um, it helps you cope somehow I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that really struck me about this book was this parallel throughout where as this natural evolution is reversing there's also this man-made reversal of society like as much as we're going back in time for evolution we're also going back in time as a society right Right. And I, I think I think that's part of what seems to happen as a sort of a a cycle to progress. I mean, ever since um you could start with the enlightenment and and move through the cycles of progress and regression that have, have happened in society since then. 
And I think that with every step forward, there comes a a, a fear, a, a backlash of, of fear, you know, that, that somehow if some people have it better in life, that somehow it's taking away from you. And that's what seemed to be happening um, in 2016 when I actually finished the book. I had written about three-quarters of it, or maybe more. Actually, I cut uh, several hundred pages. And then um, I felt this sense of fear and regression that, that seemed so familiar to me. And the only thing I really wanted to work on was this book, and I wanted to finish it. Mm. One thing that people have said about this book is that it's a break from a lot of your past work. It's very different for you. Do you feel like this is a different book for you? In a sense. Uh, it certainly has a premise that I hadn't been able to work with before, and it it has a, an element of fantasy or science fiction that um, doesn't appear in my other books. But in, in other ways, it's a book that resembles many of the books I've written. You know, there's there are characters who have complex tribal identities. There are people who have complex tribal and non-tribal relationships. And uh, I was able to concentrate more on the physicality of pregnancy than I had before. And I, I wanted to write something about that. When I started working on the book in 2002, um, I'd had my last child, but, you know, I didn't feel that there was much written about how complex and diffuse and um, sometimes claustrophobic pregnancy can be. And I wrote that into the book even without the social changes that are tending more and more toward an authoritarian world. Even so, it's difficult to be pregnant, but under these circumstances, of course, my character, Cedar, has a great deal to contend with, and I'd always wanted to write a pregnant hero, which I did, (laughs) (laughs) to have someone, you know, the, the basic plot of the book is a woman being chased through her entire pregnancy and getting bigger and bigger and less and less able to maneuver, and that's really the plot of the book, and the question is whether she will be able to make it out of the out of the dangers she's been put into mm. and with, without giving too much away there's um there's one particular um sequence of childbirth in the book which described in incredible incredible detail yes but that's actually not a lot of detail there aren't physical descriptions of the detail you know actually i felt that it was probably a pretty mild description oh, really? of, huh? of childbirth <laughs> in some ways yeah Last someone who's never experienced it and will never experience it, um, I thought it was incredibly eye-opening. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm glad to hear that. I shouldn't say, Mile, I felt it was a muted, in some ways, a muted way of describing childbirth because it was from a woman who was helping another woman give birth. It wasn't from the woman mm-hmm. who was actually giving birth, you know. Mm-hmm. It was from, from an observer. Another thing I wanted to mention was... Um, you know, as much as this book is a break for you, um, at the heart of it are still these Native American traditions and customs, and um, that's a very important part for you in your work, correct? Yes, my um, my background on my mother's side is Turtle Mountain Chippewa. Mm-hmm. My dad is is German American, so I've grown up with this very rich, centered 
family and have all sorts of, I, I guess, rooted connections with my tribal past and my my his, my tribe's history, my grandparents' history. You know, people, I was the oldest of the seven, so I was able to really know my grandparents. And I think that makes a great deal of difference for a writer, you know, growing up with a sense of what it was like somehow or identifying with what it was like before you were born, knowing that someone you love has has really grown up in a very different time and hearing about it and hearing about their experiences, that was a crucial part of what made me a writer, I think. Mm -hmm. Another thing I wanted to mention was the role of religion in the novel, which I thought was very interesting because it's not necessarily on one side or the other. On the one hand, there's the authoritarian government using religion to control people, but on the other hand, for Cedar, religion is a source of power for her. Um, so how, how was writing about that for you? Cedar was always trying to search out what would be helpful about religion. You know, what, what, could, what, what attracted her and what attracts a lot of people to religion is an examination of one's experience of the divine or of some form or force that is greater than who we are and something of a an idea of what or who might have created us. And that's what she's she's looking for. She's looking for rituals that will speak to her and not exactly looking for answers. Mm-hmm. By the end, I think she has this experience where she feels some comforting presence is with her. And that's a sensation that I think people who have a great deal of faith and believe that this outside presence is not their own projection, but actually is from another source, I think that's something that people people grow toward, that she has that by the end. And I don't know whether she, um, I mean, her fate is still, it's, it's somewhat in the balance still. We don't know exactly what's what happens to her and I don't want to give that away but Mm -hmm. you know she does find some sort of balance in her faith by the end Mm -hmm. but then it's also used um by society to control people um like there's one point where they talk about how the street names have been renamed to bible verses so you really really you really get the flip side of religion there as well well I think that's something that we we know a lot about really Mm -hmm. um and it's a struggle that we have in our country. Our country was formed and framed by the idea that the church should be separate from the state. The government should not be um, a theocracy. It should be a government that was separated from religion. For one thing, we have numerous religions, numerous people in our country who are of different faiths, including no faith at all. And supposedly everyone shares equally in the citizenship of the country. So the government cannot um, and should not take on the trappings of one religion Mm -hmm. over another. Um, I think we've come closer and closer 
to merging the two, and I think that's very dangerous. I think that's something that we see happening in the world, and it never has um, a happy outcome. It's uh, The outcome is usually a diminishment of freedom. It's usually a, a burgeoning of rules, and it is it is another form of an autocratic government, and we we certainly don't want that. But there's a, a a sense that everyone who serves in public life has to have a religion, has to have some form of of worship or give give lip service to especially to Christianity. And I, I think that's a, a dangerous way to go. Um, and I don't like to see it happening. Mm-hmm. Do you see that as another aspect of this reversal of society that you write about? I do. I mean, with, with the the Enlightenment was about uh, it was about science, it was about um, rationalism, about finding what worked in in life, in science, in health, in 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 every way that one possibly could, using facts to further the goals of, of freedom and independence for people. I, I don't think that faith and religion and belief do the same thing. They're, they can be wonderful for people, mm-hmm. but we all have emotional reactions and um, faith-based reactions that are very different from other people. And while we can have those, and while some of them may be wonderful, the sense of wanting to impose those beliefs on other people is sort of irresistible mm-hmm. to many people. If, if I have this belief, I want you to have this belief. Mm-hmm. And that's where the danger of it all is. You know, nobody should be able to impose their religion on anyone else. And in fact, of course, we our national mythos is about religious freedom. Mm-hmm. But there's a constant struggle in our country to maintain this religious freedom in fact, you know, in, in practice. Um, in practice, Christianity is privileged over all religions in our country. And it's, it's something that, that worries me because any religion can be, at its most fundamental, be manipulated in order to excuse repellent behaviors Mm -hmm. and I I think almost any religion is used to allow people to turn away ethically from what they might really be doing with a sense that it was for some greater religious good so I'm I'm worried about that I I think we should base our decisions on facts figures rational science and a way of looking at the world that is not bound by emotion and by religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Do you think this concept of um, sort of enforcing these religious beliefs on other people, um, you know, I believe this, so I want you to believe this too, do you think that extends to um, the current political state, aside from religion? Oh, well, absolutely. And I think what's been really destructive in our our national life right now is the sense that there are a few hot-button Topics and one of them, of course, is abortion. And this particular topic is so vital to people that they will excuse almost any 
behavior in um, another person provided that that person has the same belief about abortion that they have, whether, you know, whether or not one does should be the litmus test for how efficient or good or useful or effective you are as a leader. Uh, I see people dumping ethics in order to put someone in a position of power to further their own ends. But I, 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 I don't think that should be. So mm-hmm. I, do, I do see that happening. I want to jump back into the novel for a bit. Um, so one of the things that really struck me about this, um, obviously dystopian apocalypse fiction is very popular right now, um, but with most of these stories, you really only get one or the other in a lot of these. Um, and yours does both. There is an apocalypse happening, and there's a dystopia, and the novel deals with both of those. Was that a distinction that you thought about as you were writing the book? No, I really didn't think about it at all. I didn't think about it as a particular type of novel. I wasn't writing exactly to the genre. I wasn't worried about it. Um, I just wanted to write about what it what it would be like. I mean, it's not that I'm writing about a blow-by-blow description of a devolution of the world. It's more that it's a metaphor for what's happening, as you mentioned, in, in life and in, in, um, in, in the world around her. It's, it's, it, what, I didn't really think of it as partaking of one or the other. So it was the, the world that suggested itself to me. Mm-hmm. So now, as we're talking, um, the book's been out for a few weeks now. Um, what kinds of reactions have you gotten? Um, either from new fans or from people who have loved your work for a long time. How have people responded to the book for you? The thing I've liked the best is when people say, I can't put it down because there's a lot of suspense in it. And that I do like writing suspense. I do like kind of dragging people along because there are times when I, you know, dragging them into the narrative and not letting them go until the end, right? Mm-hmm. I, I do enjoy writing that kind of book. And I do enjoy reading that kind of book, even though I'm staying up at late. So I'm, I'm happy if I'm keeping people up. You know? <laughs> I'm happy if people have to read to the end once they start it. So Louise, we just have one more question for you. Uh, and this mm-hmm. is a question that we ask all of our guests on the podcast. Since this is primarily geared towards teachers, educators, their students, who was your favorite teacher? Oh, that's easy. <laughs> Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Mrs. Sheridan. Um, she was my fifth grade teacher, and she really allowed me to take some chances. It may seem like a very small thing, but she had us writing book reviews, and I wrote a negative book review for one of the books. Mm-hmm. And this enchanted her. She'd never had a negative book review from a student before. So when I got... Um, an A and recognition from my teacher for having done something negative was a great lesson to me. Mm-hmm. And I've never forgotten it. I didn't have to be this uh, approving, this was a Catholic school. I didn't have to approve of everything. I didn't have to, you know, be admiring of everything. I could be honest with her and I could say that I didn't like this book and here are the, here are the reasons I didn't like it. And it made her very happy. And that was a great moment for me. Can I ask what the book is? I don't remember at all. (laughs) I wish I remembered. (laughs) Well, I guess it didn't make that much of an impression. I just remember that I got, uh, that, you know, I had this great moment of of 
being recognized for writing the opposite of what I thought I should write for her. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's great. Um, well, Louise, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. It was lovely to talk to you. You too. Thank you for the questions. Of course. I, lo I loved the book, so you made it easy for me. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad. <laughs> All right. Well, you enjoy your weekend. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.